Exploring the intersection of liberty and character. Welcome to the Reed Hour with Lawrence W. Reed. And welcome, everyone, to the Reed Hour on the Loving Liberty Network. This is your host, Lawrence Reed. Please call me Larry. And I'm here today, as is the case every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, with my producer, Brian Hyde. And Brian and I usually spend the first uh, 10 or 12 minutes talking about uh, heroes, and today is no exception. Well, hey, I, Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Larry. And, you know, we just, we're, we've just come back from the Memorial Day holidays, so I'm sure this is a the, the hero you've chosen today or heroes you've chosen is, is going to resonate with a lot of folks. Um, you're going to talk about the D-Day heroes. And I guess we're coming up on a pretty significant date in June 6th as well. That's right. This is a very timely uh, uh, discussion, Brian, because as you pointed out, not only did we just have Memorial Day, but on the 6th of June uh, next week, we will have the 75th anniversary of the D-Day uh, invasion, which happened on the 6th of June in 1944, and of course proved to be absolutely uh, pivotal uh, to the eventual outcome of the Second World War in Europe. Now, I understand you actually had a chance to visit the Normandy battlefields earlier this month. So uh, maybe you could start by sharing with us what were some of your impressions and thoughts about what you saw there? They are an awesome sight. There's no question about it. I was there once before, about 20 years ago, but that trip was rather quick. And I uh, saw the Puente Ho site and looked down those cliffs at that time. But that was about it. This time I had more opportunity to see more of the area. So I went to uh, the two beaches that American troops assaulted on the 6th of June, 1944, Utah and Omaha, uh, and some of the area nearby. Uh, it leaves you... Uh, really in tears at times because you realize that, uh, you know, there were 50-some thousand young Americans, many of whom weren't even 20 yet, who uh, scaled those cliffs and climbed on those beaches, even though they knew that there was a good chance they wouldn't make it. There were more than a million landmines on those beaches. There were German bunkers and casements and uh, at the top of the of the cliffs. Uh, lots of Germans firing down as we try to scale those cliffs. And going through the American cemetery at Normandy uh, leaves you breathless. There are almost 10,000 Americans buried there, and uh, all with a white stone cross or a Star of David. And they're all facing west uh, to America. And you realize that, wow, they, they made the supreme sacrifice. And many of them were just teenagers. But wow, they uh, did a remarkable thing for us. Something that I've heard from other people who have been there, I've never been there myself, but um, starting with the graveyard, the, the magnitude of how many individuals lost their lives there is, is really staggering. And I'm wondering if you could comment on that as well as the magnitude of, of the invasion itself. Yes. Uh, the number of uh, grave sites in the American cemetery is in the vicinity of 10,000. And then nearby at the principal memorial there, uh, there is along one of its walls the names of about 1,500 more. And those are names of uh, young men and in some cases some women who uh, gave their all but were never uh, found and were never identified. So there are no uh, uh, remains uh, to, to bury. Um, every now and then on that wall, you'll find uh, a little rosette 
uh, next to a name, and that marks someone whose remains were ultimately identified. But that's a relatively small number. There's about 1,500 that uh, were lost at sea or just otherwise uh, could never be found. What was what was at stake here? For for those who've never cracked a history book or maybe have forgotten, when when the Allies set to invade Europe, what uh, what was at stake here in terms of their success or their failure? Well, Hitler, anticipating that at some point the Allies would stage an invasion, I mean, there was no way to advance on Germany, at least from the West, uh, except by, uh, at some point, staging a massive invasion. But Hitler knew that uh, it could happen anywhere, all the way from Norway down to Spain. And uh, that entire 2,400-mile shoreline, he fortified with bunkers and landmines and beach and water obstacles, uh, lots of troops and tanks, and not knowing exactly where uh, the invasion would ultimately happen. He had reason to believe that Normandy was the best uh, uh, likelihood, but we had an elaborate deception planned uh, for the weeks leading up to the actual invasion. We were uh, planning all kinds of rumors, doing everything necessary to make Hitler and the Germans think that we were going to land uh, further north than we did uh, in the vicinity of Calais, right at the most narrow part of the English Channel. But in the end, uh, General Eisenhower, as the overall commander of what was called Operation Overlord, uh, decided that uh, Normandy represented the best opportunity. And uh, the first day that it was to happen was to be June 5th, but bad weather prompted him to uh, hold it off. And if the weather had continued to be bad, Uh, There was a very narrow window. They had to uh, uh, launch the invasion, and because of uh, things like the tides and uh, a whole lot of things, they would have had to wait at least two or three weeks before they could do it again. So the weather cleared enough that he gave the go-ahead on the 6th of June. Everything was at stake. Uh, Whether we could defeat Germany or not depended upon a successful invasion and ultimately incursion uh, into Germany itself, which happened uh, uh, just a few months after the D-Day invasion. Now, remind me, did you you state the the, uh, amount of troops that uh, the Allies put forward at this time to, to or committed to that invasion? Well, there were 156,000 troops on that uh, on D-Day that landed. Uh, the Americans numbered about 55,000, as I recall. That's within a thousand or two of the actual number. Uh, the rest, uh, aside from the Americans, were of course British and Canadian and an assortment of other allies. Uh, but ultimately, before the assault on Normandy would uh, would end uh, successfully, uh, there were nearly 400,000 troops landed at Normandy. But on D-Day itself, about 156,000 landed. That must have been an impressive sight to, to the Germans who were dug in and waiting. Oh, it sure had to be. Uh, but they probably also thought that they had the upper hand, that that uh, some of those cliffs could not be taken, that they had the beaches so well fortified that uh, there was no way we could succeed. It was the sheer uh, courage, firepower, and ingenuity of our troops and commanders that allowed the invasion to succeed. And within a, a, a matter of a couple of weeks, I think, we American troops went north and took Cherbourg, a very important port on the Normandy coast. And then we headed south and ultimately then to the east. Uh, and Patton's Third Army spearheaded the drive into Germany itself. 
Tell us about the speech that Ronald Reagan, that President Reagan gave in 1984 to, to mark the 40th anniversary of the U.S. Rangers landing there. What was the significance of that landing and his speech? Um, yes, that was such a memorable speech. I'm happy to say I stood on the very spot where he gave that speech just uh, two and a half weeks ago. But he was there uh, on the 6th of June, 1984, to mark the 40th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. And some of those Rangers who had been part of that assault uh, were there uh, now in their 60s. Uh, and it was a very moving scene. I, I have uh, a quote here. Uh, that whole Reagan speech is well worth reading and rereading. But at one point, standing on the uh, above the cliffs, he said, we stand on a lonely windswept point on the northern shore of France. The air is soft, but 40 years ago at this moment, the air was dense with smoke and the cries of men, and the air was filled with the crack of rifle fire and the roar of cannon. At dawn on the morning of the 6th of June, 1944, 225 Rangers jumped off the British landing craft and ran to the bottom of these cliffs. And of course, the rest is history. They, they took those cliffs, but of those 225 Rangers, uh, within a day, only 90 of them were still capable of fighting. Most of the balance had either been killed or wounded and had to be taken out of uh, battle. So President Reagan sure knew how to commemorate things uh, in a moving way. And that was perhaps uh, certainly one of his very best speeches uh, that he ever gave anywhere. Well, I, I'm grateful that you've had the chance to, to stand on that very ground. I, I guess the, the closest I've ever come to, to getting a, a feel for um, how difficult the task was ahead of them was the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan, which was you know cinematic history in that it showed a side of war that normally wasn't shown. But, um, man, it, it, it would have taken nerves of steel to, to yes. move forward and to fulfill that mission. Absolutely. And by the way, if any listeners ever have a chance to visit that American cemetery at Normandy, they can actually uh, uh, see the grave sites of uh, uh, the, the brothers that that movie was based upon. Their actual real name uh, was not Ryan, but there were four brothers and at least two. I can't remember if all four. I th it seems to me maybe uh, one or two is buried elsewhere. But at least two of those four brothers are buried at the American cemetery there. Okay. Very good. Well, we're, we're coming up on our break here. We'll come back. You have a special guest coming up in the next segment. Yes, I do. Her name is Lynn Albrecht. She's a good friend and a big advocate for individual freedom, privacy, and criminal justice reform with a very personal story. Welcome back to the Reed Hour on the Loving Liberty Network. This is Lawrence Reed, your host. And I have with me today a very special guest, a woman I greatly admire. Her name is Lynn Ulbricht. Lynn is an advocate for individual freedom, privacy, and criminal justice reform with a very personal story. She's the mother of Ross Ulbricht, who is serving double life sentences without parole for nonviolent charges associated with his role in creating the website Silk Road just a few years ago. Lynn is dedicated to fighting not only for Ross's freedom, 
but for the thousands who have been victimized by the flawed U.S. criminal justice system and the drug war. Since the trial and conviction of her son Ross, which many believe to have been riddled with corruption and unfairness, and I'm one of them, tens of thousands of people have signed the online petition requesting President Trump to pardon Ross. You can do so too by visiting freeross.org, freeross.org. Welcome to the Read Hour, Lynn. Thank you, Larry. It's such a pleasure to be on here with you. The pleasure is ours. It is. It's an honor. Thank you. I'm a great admirer of yours. (laughs) Well, you're very kind. And uh, since I have come to know you, I am an admirer of yours. And every time I meet you, Lynn, I I immediately think, what a sweetheart. This wonderful lady is bearing this burden, but is doing it so well and speaking so eloquently on behalf of all the right things and her son in particular. Now, Lynn, your son, Ross, was an Eagle Scout. He earned a degree in physics from the University of Texas on a full academic scholarship. Then he went on to earn a master's from Penn State. He had never been in trouble with the law and believed that when he created the Silk Road website, that he was giving people an opportunity to buy and sell whatever they wanted in complete privacy, as long as they did no harm to anyone else. So what was the government's problem with all that? Well, um, there were many illegal things on there, and um, including drugs. Um, and the government has a problem with that. And just to be clear, um, there were many things prohibited. So it wasn't strictly a free market because there was no child pornography allowed, no stolen property, no violent services, uh, that sort of anything like, as you said, that could hurt, harm a third party. Um, and, you know, it was the product of a very idealistic young man who worked on the Ron Paul campaign, who had gotten very um, passionate about, um, you know, Rothbard and von Mises and thought that it, w- it was very important for people to experience a free market. And he started out, he uh, created a video game and w- where people would experience a free market playing the game. And when that didn't get published, he turned to the Internet. Mm. And the thing just, um, you know, he did not intend it to be, oh, he did not intend to be, quote unquote, a drug kingpin. He didn't intend to um, harm anyone. But it's one of these things that, you know, it was a bit reckless, I would say, as his mother. And a lot of young people do reckless things. Um, But to be punished for, you know, and caged really for the rest of his life. Yeah. Something he did at 26 years old, uh, where there was no victim named at trial. There was no uh, he was never accused of any of killing anyone or causing any bodily harm to anyone. It just is a, a, a very terrifying uh, sentence for all of us. So he devised this website and people could uh, post uh, things on there indicating they had something to sell and it wasn't always legal to be either purchased or sold, but he wasn't actively involved in, uh, in, in, in you know, let's, let's promote something that's illegal or uh, let's facilitate the trade of illegal substances. I mean, this was just a website. He offered a unique form of encryption and privacy, uh, but he wasn't monitoring what other people were putting on there and in, in, from day to day, right? Uh, no, I mean, it, it's as if saying Jeff Bezos was monitoring what I do on Amazon from day to day, except he's a lot bigger, obviously. But um, no, it was it was basically an open market 
although I, again, things were prohibited that harmed people, so vic the creative victims. So I had a, um, a high-level admin, Curtis Greens, tell me that they would spend time with the staff purging the site of things that were harmful to a third party who didn't make a choice. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you can yeah. make the argument that drugs are harmful. And, and by the way, it was almost all, according to a Carnegie Mellon study, almost all user amounts of marijuana. It wasn't, you would never know that from the media or the government, but it wasn't uh, je you know, overwhelmingly at all a, a site with hard drugs. But that's that the libertarian viewpoint is that that's a choice. And um, that was the policy that drugs were allowed, but there are many legal things allowed. There yeah. were books and clothing and electronics, and there's a whole list on our website from the exhibits and the trial of what was allowed. And um, so it was kind of like an eBay. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so it wasn't tightly controlled, no. Uh, uh, tell me if this analogy isn't quite apt, but I always thought of what Ross was doing is basically analogous to, say, the guy who builds the roads. And inevitably, you're going to have some people who use the roads and use them improperly. They speed or they, uh, uh, you know, in some way or other, they do something they shouldn't do on these roads. Right. Uh, well, shouldn't you go after them, not not the uh, not the guy who built the road? Well, good point. And in fact, it's a pun, right? Silk Road. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, people are killed on the roads by drunken drivers and others. Reckless drivers and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. It, it kind of expands the criminal umbrella to, you know, include being responsible for the actions of others. And it also and any website host who it puts a chill on that because they're being now with this precedent held responsible for anything illegal on the site. And that can spread to hate speech. It can spread to all kinds of things. And look, I've been told, I don't know personally, but I've been told that Craigslist, there's drugs, there's prostitution, there's, you know, there's been murders on Facebook Live, there's, you know, drugs sold on Facebook, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's just the Internet. But, yeah, um, yeah so. So in Ross's trial, uh, did the government focus on uh, drug trades on Silk Road? Is that what they zeroed in on? Or did they make uh, claims of, of other illicit activity that factored greatly into the verdict? Really, the only thing that was permitted to be said at trial about it was the um, illegal drugs. Um, and they barely, they mentioned marijuana once, I think, even though that was the majority of the drugs. Mm -hmm. It was very much of a controlled narrative, but they, it wasn't allowed to say there were legal things sold. Um, Ross's libertarian views were not allowed to be mentioned, but the judge precluded that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. No. And see, the thing is, she said at sentencing, we know you created this site for philosophical reasons, and we're just not sure it's a philosophy you've left behind. Well, the philosophy is a libertarian philosophy of free markets and, um, you know, free exchange. That's the philosophy that she sound, felt, found so dangerous that she had to keep him in a cage for the rest of his life. And she, even though the media trumpets that it's, well, he went into this for drugs and, you know, make a lot of money. And Ross didn't even own a car, <laughs> you know, so he's a very idealistic person. And um, he, you know, um, so, but no, that the, the jury was presented with a very tightly controlled narrative by the prosecution and the judge. Uh, after the break, I want to get into a discussion a little bit more of the trial itself and some of the uh, anomalies. Uh, but real quick, in the less than a minute we have before that break, uh, Lynn, uh, 
was did, did the jury know that uh, others I think you were involved as well were trying to uh, weed out some of these uh, bad actors on the site uh, even though there may not have been any uh, explicit legal requirement that you do so but did, did the jury know that Oh, no, no, I didn't even find out. And I wasn't involved. I didn't even know Silk Road existed. But um, no, I was just told that by an administrator on a, on publicly on a podcast recently that he was involved in that. But no, wow. the jury didn't know. It was no, because it was not even known to the jury that there were any legal thing. Uh, I mean, that there were any intentions, sorry, of um, not harming a third party. That was never mentioned at trial. It was it was just about, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the worst things they could possibly say. We'll, we'll take up at that uh, point after the break. Thank you, Lynn. We'll be right back. Sure. Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. This is Lawrence Reed. Welcome back to the Reed Hour on the Loving Liberty Network. We're talking today to Lynn Ulbricht, who has a very powerful personal story involving her efforts to uh, earn a, a pardon from President Trump for her son, Ross Albrecht. You can learn more about his case at freeross, F-R-E-E-R-O-S-S dot org. To make a long story short, uh, he is serving double life sentences without parole for nonviolent charges associated with his role in creating a website, Silk Road. Lynn has been working to uh, publicize his case uh, and more broadly to try to reform uh, the criminal justice system that uh, uh, sent him to uh, what looks now to be life in prison unless he gets a pardon. Lynn, uh, before the break, we started talking about the trial, uh, which ultimately uh, concluded in Ross getting these uh, what amounts to life in prison. Uh, just unthinkable for uh, yeah. what it is he, uh, he he did, creating a website where people could buy and sell things uh, and do so uh, in an encrypted fashion. What were some of the anomalies and, and outright injustices of the trial itself and of the judge's uh, subsequent sentencing? Yeah, there were many. Um, one of the things that's most shocking or was to me is that, and I didn't even know about the details till after trial, but there were two corrupt federal investigators now in prison who were at the core of the investigation, and the jury was not permitted to be to know about these people. They had unfettered access to the Silk Road website and could uh, alter anything in there, pretty much, and steal money. And even take over um, aliases and act as aliases, including the alias of Dread Pirate Roberts, the, the administrator who Ross is accused of being. So these corrupt federal investigators had uh, keys to the kingdom. And this was not permitted to be known to the jury. Gee. And I, I think it would have cast reasonable doubt. Um, and there were other things, such as... Um, the idea of an alternate perpetrator, there was a um, there was evidence that was not allowed to be told to the jury that someone else in two different instances could have been DPR and in, or Dread Pirate Roberts, the um, administrator. And um, 
actually one of the testimonies was from a, a federal agent, a different, a not a, you know, not one of the corrupt ones, but a federal agent who testified that he thought someone else was GPR. And that was all stricken from the, the record. And the jury was told not to um, consider it, even though he told about a meeting uh, that, you know, cast a pretty strong story that someone else was operating the website. Um, Ross says he created it, he, but he also says he didn't run it the whole time. He didn't have the, he was a physics guy, a science guy. He was not a computer programmer. Mm-hmm. It was way out of his league to be able to do that and says that someone else was. Um, With so much of this potentially countervailing evidence uh, that uh, was not allowed to be presented to the jury, it sure sounds to a lot of people, I know that some of them are quoted on the Free Ross website, as if the fix was in, that the government decided, yeah. hey, we got to nail this guy, uh, apparently to make an example of him or something. Do you have any... Uh, hypothesis as to why they decided let's go after Ross Albrecht? I do. I I really believe it was about the Bitcoin. Silk Road, not the drugs. And the reason I'm almost positive it wasn't about drugs is that the biggest drug seller on Silk Road got 10 years. And Mm -hmm. he he is the same offense level in the prison system as Ross. Uh, But he got 10 years. And but they don't I don't think they were really that concerned about drug sales. I think they were very concerned about an alternate currency that they could not control. They meaning the financial powers, uh, who's ever running, you know, these things. And I I think that um, Bitcoin was very threatening. And this was corroborated um, about a year ago, March, um, when it came out with the intercept that uh, Snowden revealed that the NSA was urgently tracking Bitcoin users a -hmm. few months before Ross was arrested. They're supposed to be tracking terrorists, I thought. But in any case, they were very concerned about Bitcoin users. And, and, um, you know, this is the full force of the federal government going after them. Yeah. Um, And, of course, Bitcoin is nothing but a digital currency that allows people to uh, buy and sell and uh, use uh, this digital medium as a medium of exchange. I mean, it's not inherently criminal at all. In fact, the people who are using it are, are in most cases, trying to uh, uh, save themselves from the uh, uh, effects of the government's own depreciating paper money or its invasions of privacy. Uh, and similar things like that. It's not a criminal enterprise at all. No, but um, it is another an alternate system, and I, I that's what I think was, is was behind it. And he, they said, well, you're the first, so we have to make an example of you. They said that it's like having the spike on the head on the spike of the medieval castle. You know, like this will happen to you. It didn't work. I mean, all these other sites proliferated, but. Um, I think that it was to show, you know, you better not do this. And um, the thing is, there's no law saying the person who does something first Mm -hmm. should get the worst punishment. Uh, In fact, in a way, when you think about it, the next guy who did it, uh, he started Silk Road 2, which was actually bigger, sold more drugs, more listings. He never went to jail. He's free. Wow. And his second guy just got five years in in the U.K., but still, it's like it's because Ross, they needed an example, and Ross was the first. This is not the first example, however, of the government uh, clearly uh, letting you know that it doesn't like competition. Yeah. That's well, uh, can you put yourself in the mind of this judge? Uh, 
did somebody from the federal government come to her and say, you know, you, we got, you got to help us get this guy, uh, make sure the jury doesn't see all the evidence? I mean, how does a person of supposed integrity reaching the position of being a, a judge over people's lives uh, end up being complicit in this kind of uh, travesty of justice? Well, first of all, she's known as being an extremely harsh sentencer. He, he was her fifth life sentence that year, and it was only May. She's a, um, and many um, criminal justice attorneys in New York have told me she had no business being on the bench at all. She is now retired, luckily, for justice. She was only on for three years, I think, maybe five. Uh, uh, she was recommended by Char uh, Chuck Schumer to her position on the bench, and Schumer was, um, I I'm not saying it was tampered, she was tampered with or influenced or told to do anything. I'm just telling you the facts. Um, he, uh, basically instigated the um, whole thing, um, calling for the takedown of Bitcoin and Silk Road publicly, mm -hmm. and then even writing Eric Holder a letter saying, congratulations, you got your man before trial. Oh, so he, he, he called Ross guilty before trial. And then the lead um, uh, prosecutor was Preet Bharara, who is uh, his longtime counsel and Schumer's, and um, was fired by Trump. But... Uh, so it, and, and Ross was brought to New York from California, where he was arrested and lived, to be tried in New York. Um, so it feels very, <laughs> uh, it feels political, but I, I have no proof. I have no, I just know what, what the facts and, you know. But, yeah, she gave him more than what the prosecutors asked for. Uh, and she could have given him a 20-year mandatory minimum, even including the ridiculous kingpin charge that was added last minute. Wow. And, but it's not it wasn't enough for her. She wasn't happy till he left that place as a corpse. Lynn, we have about a minute and a half before the break, and then, of course, the final segment to follow. But maybe you could tell us real quick, uh, what was uh, Ross's reaction when he heard the verdict of double life sentences? And also, what was your reaction? Did you uh, see it coming? No, I, I never in a million years thought she would give a nonviolent first-time young offender that kind of sentence in America. I couldn't believe it. Uh, it was just heartbreaking because what Ross did was he turned around to us and uh, tried to comfort us. Mm. He's like, Mom, it's okay. You're going to be, you know, to my, my husband. And, and it was just like he was worried about us. And that's so him. And uh, no, it was like one of the worst days of my life. Um, to th I, I just couldn't. We were in shock. It was, it's a terrible thing, and it's it's wrong. And there's and there's he's not even unique. There's uh, I think it's over seventeen thousand nonviolent offenders serving life in our system now, and life sentences have been toppled since the eighties. It's being weaponized against people. It's a terrible, very frightening thing. Now, uh, you did appeal, uh, right, and or Ross did, and it went all the way to where it was uh, d uh, d the Supreme Court decided not to hear the case. Am I correct? That is, and it's an unfortunate for us, um, it, it be, us as citizens, because one of the in the Supreme Court, it has to be a big issue, a widespread issue, and it was, does the federal government have the right to basically delve into our um, Internet habits and, uh, and without a warrant, without in secret. And then the other. Let's pick up there, Lynn, at the uh, after the break and we'll uh, take it further. Thank you, Lynn. We'll be back in a few yes, moments. Sir. 
This is Lawrence Reed, your host of the Reed Hour. Welcome back. We're broadcasting on the Loving Liberty Network, and my guest today for this final segment, as well as the previous two, is Lynn Ulbricht. Lynn is an advocate for individual freedom, privacy, and criminal justice reform. She has a very personal story. We've been talking about her son, Ross, uh, who was given amazingly and incredibly and tragically uh, double life sentences without parole for nonviolent charges associated with his role in creating the website uh, Silk Road. Uh, Lynn, um, let's move on to some larger issues of which Ross's case is very much an important part. The issues and questions about freedom and privacy uh, in this digital age. Uh, you speak about these challenges. Tell us what some of those concerns and challenges are uh, that you think Americans should care about and, and wake up about. Right. Well, I, I was talking about the, what was before the Supreme Court, and it was definitely a privacy uh, concern because, I mean, I personally don't want the government being able to rifle through all of my internet activity. And when you think about it, it's a very slippery slope because we're talking about our religious um, beliefs, our sexual orientation, our political, um, you know, involvement. It can be used to blackmail officials and judges. Yeah. It can be uh, used to persecute political enemies. All in secret, all without a warrant or probable cause is now allowed under the third party doctrine, which is an antiquated doctrine based on the tile telephone. And so this case was brought before with, by one of the top law firms in the United States, Williams and Connolly, brought it before the Supreme Court, and they punted it. They, I think they'll eventually address it, but they didn't want to address it this time. So we are still unprotected. Our Fourth Amendment rights are, are basically very crippled mm -hmm. and being decimated. So, you know, that's a big part. Um, and... There are other issues, too, but the that's the privacy issue that was most forefront. Well, and we know from experience that uh, if you give the government an inch, it will sooner or later take a mile. Wasn't it the mm -hmm. Patriot Act that set up the FISA court process? Oh, was it? I didn't know that. Pretty sure it was. And here we are not all that many years afterwards, and we're talking about uh, having to investigate FISA abuse, where top officials uh, apparently have taken false information to a FISA court uh, to, for the purpose of carrying out uh, what likely seems to be a political agenda. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. we shouldn't be surprised at the abuses that government undertakes when you start uh, giving them expanded powers. Right. I mean, that's what our founders were trying to avoid, yep. you know. Absolutely. What's uh, Ross's attitude uh, now? Uh, is he optimistic about uh, the long term? Does he think that... Uh, things can get better for him, that maybe there'll be a pardon? We're hopeful, and he's hopeful. He's not giving up hope. Ross is a, in kind of, a, by nature, a, a very positive person, and we're certainly not giving up hope. Uh, we, It's been a tough thing because um, he's been so smeared with false um, information about murder for hire that was never brought to trial, never judged by a jury, and that was the, one of the other things before the Supreme Court was— the Sixth Amendment says you can't do that. A judge yeah. can't just talk about it 
without you know a jury ruling, but um, they didn't take that one up either. <laughs> and um, and and um, also the media has been you know made uh, very awful a lot of them. So you know we've been working hard to say look this this narrative is wrong and there is fake news it exists. And now we just found out that there's a movie in the works that literally portrays Ross as assassinating someone with a gun and blood flying, uh, spattering oh, all over. Of which when there was never any formal charge. In there was never level. any murders at all. Yeah, uh, but but not him. Yes. I, I mean, he was never char- He was never even accused by anyone of causing bodily harm or, or killing. But if this comes out in a movie, then everybody's going to think, oh, that's real. You know, because, well, you know that Hollywood tells us what's real. If, so if they, it's if constant. This, if the filmmakers try to paint uh, your son that way, Lynn, and uh, and name him so that there's no oh, they name him as to who they're mm-hmm. talking about, I hope there's some grounds for you to sue. Oh, yeah, we're looking into it. <laughs> you oh, know, more good. lawyers. I, I have this long list, which, you know, oh, you know, God. of lawyers. It's 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 pretty crazy. But, um, yeah, just keep going. And somebody, um, yeah, if somebody told me that uh, a, a certain person uh, was given double life sentences without parole. My first question would be, oh, how many people did he kill? Of course. I mean, yeah. And yet or uh, that's is, is he what... a terrorist who blew up a, a city? I mean, you know, whatever or a building or. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. To think that this is happening in the United States of America. And I'm guessing that it happens uh, in some form or another, to one degree or another, all too often. And oh, yeah. Ross is, is one of uh, multiple people. Well, that's uh, why the mass, our prisons have metastasized 2.9, no, what is it? It's 2.9 million, uh, metastasized 800%. The prison population ha- has just become, It's if it were a state, it would be bigger than 11 other states in the United States. That's wow. how big it is. What kind, of reaction has, what kind of reaction has the website gotten, uh, freeross.org? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's gotten, you know, positive. We have um, almost 170,000 people signing our signature uh, petition, sorry, signatures on our petition, almost 170,000. And um, that's a lot of people who feel that Ross should uh, get a break and have uh, a second chance. And um, we have a lot of, you know, visits and it's very dense. There's a lot of information, but it's it's uh, backed up by footnotes and um, citations. Mm-hmm. So um, we do back up what we're saying. And um, yeah, and I, I would like to say, as I since I mentioned lawyers, <laughs> that we have a way to do, ways to donate and we, we always need help with that. Uh, it's ridiculous how expensive lawyers are. I, I just amazing. And, um, you know, I, I especially reach out to people who have made money with Bitcoin because there's a lot of people who've made a lot of money. And if it weren't for Ross's vision, Bitcoin would be obscure and worth nothing. That's what so many people have told me. So he needs your help now. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so. We yeah. will post and promote this uh, broadcast in the hope that it will draw a lot of people to the website to sign the petition. And I promised you an endorsement quote, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll get to that. Uh, tomorrow is my next free day, so I, I will Thank get you. it to you uh, sometime tomorrow. Yeah, I want you on there. And, uh, and um, also, if anyone has political connections, that's the other thing, because I really want to be able to have President Trump understand the truth about this case. And I think he does care about um, uh, criminal justice reform and sentencing reform. He wants to do it. I think he uh, could understand that, you know, Ross's case, if he really knew it. And um, 
I, you know, he's got the power to set Ross free. Have you had any indication uh, to date that maybe he is at least aware of Ross's case? Well, I know he's been told about it, but um, I don't know that he's remembered. <laughs> I don't know. He's got a lot on his plate, uh, but he, he's been told about Ross and so have people close to him. But, um, you know, we're just going to keep keep trying and bring, you know, having more and more people speak out for Ross and maybe he'll go, who is this guy? Maybe I don't look into it. Wow. Now, Ross is in a, a prison in Colorado, as I recall, right? He was moved to Tucson, Arizona, because he oh, refused to uh, assault another inmate as it's a, sort of a gang thing that he was being forced and he wouldn't do it. And he put himself in danger, but he wouldn't do it. And he went into protective custody and got moved to Tucson, which is where people are put who are targeted and in danger. I'm very happy about it. It's not violent like the other place it was very, very violent. It was terrible. And you have uh, visiting rights uh, mm -hmm. to what extent? Yeah, in fact, I've I've actually relocated here. Um, uh, it's every weekend, but I don't go every weekend because he has other family members and friends come too. But um, or I'm traveling. But uh, yeah, he has a visit almost every weekend, which mm -hmm. helps. It's a lifeline, you know, to keep him healthy mentally and emotionally. Absolutely it's tough. It's well, a tough place. Yeah. Lynn, if you think of it when you next visit him, I hope you'll uh, pass on uh, my regards. I tell will. That, uh, I'm just one of many who feel that uh, he's been the victim of a great injustice, and we'll Thank do all you. we can to uh, fix that problem. And uh, kudos to you for your dedication as his mother and all that you've done to bring attention to his case and to the larger issues here. Uh, Thank I you, just, Larry. And I already told him about you when I met you. I said how excited I was to have met you and told him because he's very well aware of fee. So. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> yeah. wonderful. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll keep getting the word out. And uh, we will post this within the next uh, few days online and start promoting it. Hopefully there'll be a lot of people who will visit freeross.org, sign the petition and do all they can to publicize this case. Lynn Albrecht, it's been a great pleasure to have you as a guest. You are an advocate for individual freedom, privacy, criminal justice reform. And uh, blessings to you as you continue to work on behalf of your son, uh, Ross, and uh, the causes that we share uh, of freedom and justice reform. Thank you very much, Lynn. Thank you, Larry. Very grateful. Credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.